Deadly Ed acknowledges the traditional custodians throughout Australia and their continuing connection to country, sea and community. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and future and recognise their continuing connection and contribution to this land and Aboriginal education. This week's Deadly Dose is with Anthony Galuzzo, a proud Aradjuri fella and the current K-6 advisor in the Aboriginal Outcomes and Partnerships Directorate for the New South Wales Department of Education. We'll yarn about his experiences in Aboriginal education growing up through to some of his professional roles within the department. We'll then take a deep dive into some of the reasons why our mob, why Aboriginal people, are leaving the classroom or teaching sector altogether. This is episode two. This is The Deadly Dogs. Yes, welcome back to another episode of The Deadly Dose. Uh, my name's Josh Brown and I'm joined, as always, by my deadly co-host, Courtney Ruby. And today, we're joined by our special guest, Anthony Galuzzo. Uh, welcome to The Deadly Dose, my brother. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me, brother. Um, and hello to Courts. How are we this week, Courts? Hello. Very well. You know, lady of leisure stuff, as always. Yep. yep. Um, nothing, nothing out of the ordinary, uh, no, as per no, usual. No. Yep. Yeah, fair enough. Um, so yeah, today we've uh, we've got brother Anthony in, um, and finding a little bit about what he does. Um, within obviously the the broader scope of the New South Wales Department of Education, but what we're actually going to get into also is uh, one of the articles that Courts wrote, which was uh, about why our mob is uh, leaving leaving the classroom or, or leaving teaching uh, in general. So that's what we're going to get cracking into today. But I thought, um, brother, want to tell us a little bit about just who you are, who's your mob, where you're from. Yeah, um, can I acknowledge country first? Uh, I join you from Wongal country. Um, acknowledge the eldest past and present of the country I join you from, but I'm a proud Radri man uh, from the Narangra peoples of Narendra, very proud. Um and um yeah living in sydney but currently yeah working for the department of education but i um i come with a teaching background uh primary teacher and i've been working in education i want to say it's my 25th year um so i've been doing it a long time Jeez, there you go yeah, like 125 years <laughs> um, still here still plugging away don't know how much longer no unless i can win the lotto but <laughs> uh, you know, I love doing what I'm doing because I know at the end of the day it's about visibility. Now, kids can't be what they can't see and seeing deadly educators mm-hmm. in whatever space, whatever platform is um, is always going to be great for our community and our kids. Mm-hmm. That's it in a quick nutshell. Yeah, that's good. Um, you know, as as you may have heard, yet another Rajvi person uh, on the podcast. So, look, just doubling in numbers here. Um, We're here. Look out. Doing great things. Doing yeah. Great things. Just, just everywhere, everywhere you look. It's just <laughs> that's good. Um, so I guess focusing on what what you do now in the, in the, uh, I guess in the Department of Education, what um, what led you to doing what you do now um, from teaching to begin with? Um, I suppose for me, it sort of started 
uh, actually, no, you know, it started back when I started teaching, uh, before I started teaching. Um, straight out of high school, I went into uh, working as a AEO casually um, whilst I was going to uni. Um, and what I noticed was that lack of visibility, was that lack of space or platform for Aboriginal educators. Most of our Aboriginal educators were AEOs or they were relieving mm. as AEOs. Um, they weren't in front of a classroom. They weren't at the executive table. They didn't have an executive voice. Um, and it, coming from Maradri, if it was always, a, I suppose, coming from the bush, it always seemed like any of those voices on a leadership level, whether it's corporate, whether it's executive, whatever, um, just didn't come our way. We didn't see it. And so I suppose I knew I was going into teaching, but I knew that's where I wanted to go. I knew we needed people there. Um, I had a bit of a voice, so I thought, you know what, strong voices, many strong voices together are going to make a louder noise. So for me, it was if I could work with other deadly blackfellas in education, whatever capacity, um, and I always wanted to work um, not on average education but in average education as well. Um, I think that's the difference as well. You know, working in average education, I know I can make a greater change with mob around me. Um, but, yeah, coming into this space, you know, when I went into the classroom, I went into two schools, essentially two that were predominantly um, non-Aboriginal in the sense that didn't have black staff, they didn't have many Koori kids. Um, so I knew that, that that fire was, you know, I was that fire was, it was there. I wanted to um, jump into this space where I knew that there was, there need, we needed more voices. So, yeah, I think about 20... I want to say 2010, 2011, um, opportunities came up. But then the opportunity came to move to Sydney. And so I jumped on that ship and didn't go in the corporate space quick. And it wasn't sort of till a couple of years later that I first sort of entered the corporate world, um, just in relieving capacity to test the water. And um, yeah, then came back to the classroom and then came, and I've been out now in the corporate space since 2017 um, in various roles. Um, but essentially advocating for Aboriginal people, Aboriginal communities, and especially our students um, since then. But it started, it really did start, though, from, you know, the shoulder of a giant's gone by, the I pulled on. Um, you know, I look at my mum, who was an AEO and re recently retired for 40-plus years, you know, and she would always say, we need people's voices at those tables. We need to make change from those tables. So this is me making that voice at that table. If you can't hear me, I'm going to make it loud. Yeah, must must say, um, definitely, uh, definitely loves a chat, um, and yeah, can definitely light up a room. Um, Absolutely, <laughs> um, it's it's funny. I, I still remember the the first the first day I I met yeah. That was at the um, I think that was the Aboriginal um, teachers conference. The um, Oh, what is it? The that Aboriginal Teachers Federation Conference. Yeah. That's right. And because um, I remember, yeah, because Corsa's mum said, oh, you, you, you got to come along. And and then I just remember this guy just goes, oh, I've been wanting to try and find you. And I was like, <laughs> for what? Yeah, you're <laughs> like, I've been hunting you down. <laughs> you're the guy in the Botanic Gardens, I feel. <laughs> <laughs> I can wherever I go. Uh, so, um, yeah, and look, um, I guess on what 
Was the the main reason you came down to Sydney? Was it for the teaching position? Um, I opportunity mainly. Yeah. Um, I suppose I had you know I felt I suppose I was a small a big fish in a small pond you know that sort of thing. Um, but also too I I dipped my toes in the union as well. I worked as a uh, project officer of the Teachers Federation. In, in 2010 uh, for six months um, and I really enjoyed being here in Sydney. Um, you know, there's so much to offer for Aboriginal people, especially someone young um, who wanted to be around blackfellas. But but um, I suppose that where Aboriginal culture is so strong, but vocally it's that activism, the... Um, I don't know, the events, you just don't have them back home. We didn't have mm-hmm. them back home. So, and I was like, I really want to be in Sydney. There's so much to offer. You know, I got to come and watch my sharkies every week. So, you know, there was lots to offer. Well, you know. You know. I will talk about this week, but um, but, um, <laughs> yeah. but, um it was really, yeah. in Sydney was attractive. So, and um, so I did my toes there, put a transfer in. I thought, I'm going to give Sydney a whirl and see how it goes and, got a transfer and yeah moved here but I moved from a 32 kid school two teacher school to uh, about 700 and yeah in the <laughs> west of Sydney and um that was yeah 12 13 years ago and I have it maybe 14 years ago yeah I, I haven't looked back so yeah wow <laughs> so yeah I guess that's the thing that's why I guess many people do move to Sydney is got to be closer to Cronulla mate um you know, I think of course the thing about moving to Sydney, yeah. No, absolutely not. You won't catch me there. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess we'll sort of we'll take a step back before um, teaching and tell us a little bit bit about your own experience when you were at school in regards to Aboriginal education. What was it like for you? Um. Being a little bit older than both of you, um, I grew up, you know, special primary school. Um, I went to primary school in the eighties, um, you know, and I, I remember in year three or four, you know, doing the, you know, the project on Captain Cook and and the Bush Rangers and um, all the key players in the First Fleet and exploration and, you know, when they discovered Australia and, um, you know, that that true history of our country. Yeah. Um, but I suppose at the time too, it wasn't that I was none the wiser because I was always, you know, I, I grew up in a community where you knew you were black, everyone was proud of that, you were proud of that, you know, grew up around family. So I knew that, but it was the system was the system and, um, you know, it, it wasn't that there weren't people who were standing against and fighting against the system, it just our voice wasn't loud enough. And I think back then, um, you know, visibility was very poor you know you watch tv there weren't black faces on tv you you know movies music you know there wasn't a lot of music voices you know our voices in music so for me going to school it, it was as much a representation of that as well you know there, it was that i suppose aboriginal education was very tokenistic um you know we did see positions in schools but you know generally they were aeos um, you know, I'm very proud of the work that AEOs do and we all, as, as a community, we should be very proud of them. Um, but I think a lot has changed since then. But when I went to school, they um, they weren't seen as um, or respected as they should have been. You know, the work that they did, the 
the spot fires that they put out, the education they had to go through, uh, the support and the racism they had to go through just to ensure that we did have someone at school, a conduit between community and school, that liaison role, that, you know, making sure there is a person in that space. Um, but the, the curriculum, it didn't support me. It didn't support in my peers. It didn't support the community. It really whitewashed our history. And, um, you know, like we talk about what Australia has a black history, none was truer than the 80s. Um, I think going into high school is a bit different. Um, I think times changed a little bit. There was a lot of movement in the 90s. You know, there was treaty came out. You had, you know, really strong black voices on TV and on music. Things started to change slowly, but there was a, start, a beginning of a movement, I think, and um, and that was reflected a bit in, in, in high school. Also, too, the policy had been out a little bit by now, so things were starting to change. You know, the only time that we celebrate Aboriginal histories and culture was NAIDOC week. Um, you know, we all got it in the oval and we were throwing boomerangs and <laughs> we did have got up because that was what Aboriginal education yeah. was like. So uh, I think by the time I started middle high school, things were really starting to change. You know, there were some great programs around at the time, like ASPA, that, if you remember that, um, and that really promoted culture um, because there was opportunity for Aboriginal students to come together in a space to Obviously, you know, we're looking at literacy and numeracy and improving that, but there was an opportunity for culture to be uh, or connection to culture and celebrate culture and, um, you know, I suppose come together as mob and, and learn culture as students. And so that came through like programs like ASPA. Um, but as, you know, those governments did at the time when something good was happening, it seemed to fold just as quick. Um, but, you know, I I was very proud of who I was. Um what you see now is what you got back then as well, you know, very loud, proud, big voice. Um, you know, I was making sure that I was making headways wherever I went. Some people didn't like that and I ruffled a few feathers, but, you know, I was, wasn't that I was, it wasn't that being popular or anything like that. It was just that I had a, a personality where I could talk to a lot of people. And I think that was key too in small town, you know, like having people like myself in those schools to change what, Aboriginal culture look like um, because what they saw was what they saw on media. You know, they were getting in the classroom, it was tokenistic, it was NAIDOC week and that was it and that was tokenistic at best. So having um, good representation, I'll go back to that, visibility is important and it's important today. But back then, um, probably you two were just starting preschool. Um, when I, was, <laughs> you know, I hope that I changed a little bit for when you <laughs> So, no, but look, it, it's changed today. Um, but really the giants of the 80s who really stood proud and loud and, and, you know, would stand against oppression and racism back then really changed curriculum. But, you know, there was a lot of people that came before me that, you know, I have to thank, but going up in my time, there certainly wasn't a good space for Aboriginal people. It was changing later in high school, but it was, wasn't, yeah, it wasn't the best. But it is better. Yeah, okay. Um, it's, it's, it's interesting, like... What I guess those experiences that you've just said, what do you feel like has either totally gone now or what things do you feel like are still lingering since back then that are still happening today? Um, definitely things that are still lingering. I'll start I'll start with the negative first. Like most people like to start with the positive, but I'm like, no, here let's all see what we can find. Yeah. Um, you know, those things of when good things happen um in education um 
governments, system structures change them, um, and they don't change them. And I say for Aboriginal people, by Aboriginal people, it's by structures and systems that are predominantly non-Aboriginal people changing for Aboriginal people without asking Aboriginal people what they think works. A lot of that is still lingering. Um, it is different in a way. Um, there is some differences that are occurring, you know, like there is people in high-level roles within the system who are at the table now. I don't think there's enough of them. There's still too few. Um, but I think that is a thing that's still lingering. Um, I also think that space of people in those roles are very few, so there's not enough, still are not enough seats at those tables, but there is now some. And what I'm really liking now and what has been great since back then is people have got there, Aboriginal people have got there by merit, being proud Delhi Blackfellas, but getting there by merit. Because one of the things I still remember, you know, back in the end of the high school era going into uni was I only got there because I was black thing, you know, that mentality. Yeah, okay. Right. Um, that casual racism, those microaggressions. Oh, you, we don't see many of your kind like that. Um, that occurred when I was sort of my early part of my career, uni, end of high school. And now people getting there on their own because they're deadly. Um, black is who they are and, you know, and their education is where they want to be. Um, and they're there, but there's still not a few of us, enough of us at those tables. Um, but the good things that are changing, you know, we're now seeing a system that really has begun to embrace our culture. Um, you know, there is premier's targets around education, um, you know, that address obviously getting our kids to reach HSC but with cultural identity, and I think that's really important. Um, kids can't be what they can't see. So seeing themselves in a system that is there to embrace culture, I think so, that's really important. Still a lot of work to do in, a, in the system, but I think it's, um, it's changed a lot since I began in the system. Um, but I also think, too, curriculum has changed, which has really helped. Um, you know, when we look at the curriculum now, I mean, it's forever changing. It's going through another change. But we've got Aboriginal educators in their writing curriculum, you know, in their our voices, our ways. I mean, look, there's probably tussles at times with them and other writers um, going what should be in there and what shouldn't be in there. That's always going to be a fight. Um, but having our voices at the table, writing curriculum for kids in classrooms um, and having a system where you've got, you know, Aboriginal people in front of the classroom, in executive roles, running schools, you know, the number of Aboriginal principals has just, it's just exploding. And, um, you know, having Aboriginal people in corporate roles, you know, that's the way the system changes. And that's something I'm sort of very proud of is um, having been in the system now 20 plus years, um, seeing that growth is really important. And that's probably, I think that's, yeah, I think that's what I've seen since me going through school. Yeah, brilliant. And I guess it's a good segue into tell us a bit about what you're doing right now, I guess, in, in your current role in the yeah. department. Uh, I mean, look, I've had a few um, changes, um, but um, at sort of at halfway through the beginning of COVID, uh, mid-2020, I changed roles into my current role. I say new, but it's I've been now in the role two years. Um, so I'm the K-6 advisor uh, for Aboriginal Outcomes and Partnerships Directorate within the department, uh, and it's essentially state Aboriginal education body. So essentially we look after Aboriginal education on a state basis and um, looking at you know, how we can change policy, how can we can change 
um, what's happening across the department, supporting us schools, you know, delivering Aboriginal education, um, delivering the policy, delivering the partnership agreement, those sorts of things. Um, but I'm the K to six advisor within that department, within that directorate, sorry. And um, so anything that comes across the K to six space, that comes through me. And I um, also to work with a lot of other directorates around that K to six space and um, making sure that there is a voice around primary. Um, and sort of, yeah, that, I, I suppose that's in a, in a very quick nutshell, but yeah, state average education. Yeah, and so like, I guess, where would, I guess, the schools or where, where does, I guess, teachers, students, principals, where do they fit into sort of that equation in terms of your current role? Is it that you associate with just teachers, is it just students, is it just principals, or is it just the directors? Like which part of kind of the, what do you call it, the... Uh, Department of Education food chain. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Where do we fit in that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I suppose in that food chain, um, we're the corporate body. Uh, yep. We're a part of the corporate body and one of many corp- divisions or directorates within the department in the corporate side. Um, so within, it, without you know understanding the structure, there's probably the schools, school directorates and then there's the corporate and we sit in the corporate. But our role... Um, I, I say it's multifaceted because depending upon which team you sit in now directorate in, in Aboriginal outcomes um, depends on what job and what job you do and what role you have is who you work with. So um, my work is predominantly with other directorates, so um, student leadership, school leadership, sorry, um, with curriculum, with um, adv- curriculum advisors, with curriculum teams. Um, so driving a lot of that, um, I suppose, the work that's delivered to teachers. Um, for example, I'm currently part of a team that's delivering and creating um, what they call micro-learning or micro-PL for staff in schools around diverse learners and that idea of teaching to the fringes of a classroom, not teaching to the middle because our kids fit right across mm-hmm. the classroom. And so I'm with working with a team of curriculum advisors and other advisors from other teams like multicultural, inclusive ed, um, high-performing kids, uh, gift and talent, sorry, um, to create this micro-learning, and that's just like one facet of my job. But so, you know, you're defining PL, you're, um, you're reviewing curriculum that's coming out, all this curriculum reform stuff that's coming out. So that directly impacts schools because it goes to teachers, it goes to directors, it goes to teachers and goes down the chain, I suppose, to our schools and our communities. Um, but there's also other things that we do as well. So obviously the education policy, we make sure that that's delivered to schools that's delivered in the corporate space right across the system, right across the organisation. Um, we work towards and ensuring the Premier's priority. So around that, you know, 50% by 2023 of our kids will reach HSC. So we deliver on that as well. We have a di- team that delivers on that in our directorate. So there's a number of initiatives in that that we lead and work with other teams across the system like regional education um, and other corporate divisions. Um, we also do things like state average education awards, and I actually coordinate those, the Nengamai Awards. Um, and those awards, I call them the Black Oscars. Did you need a, a, a performer? Because there's one here, Courtney Ruby's a great performer <laughs> for any kind of award ceremonies. Oh, she's gold. I look, I know the talents uh, of my Radri sister there. Um, hey. She's definitely do everything. You know, I'm always making sure there's something I can get her in for. Yep, that's what it is. Yeah. 
but uh, look, I've always got my eye on, and especially her mother too. Her mother's just as talented. Um, oh, bless her. Yeah, so that's something we lead as well. We lead, we um, organise the state education awards, and I'm in the midst of doing that now. And so it's it, it's a it's a plethora of things around education, but in in the in terms of the the food chain. Um, it's multi-layered, it's, multi it's varied, it, it goes across a number of spaces. But I would say you, it's not one one particular thing. Yeah. You know, like we work with schools, but we work a lot with the corporate space, which impacts schools. So I, I think our job is very important. Um, and, you know, we have a voice right to the top, to a seat at the big exec table, um, right to our schools and our community. So I, I, I think that's um, really important. Yeah, very good. It's sort of like your igniting the fires but also putting out the fires at the same time oh tell me about it every day no <laughs> not I, I think i used to do that more in my old role but not this role but it's um it's igniting more fires than yeah putting fires out. it's how can we change that fire so it burns brighter yeah yeah nasty yeah. that's inspiring so you talked a lot about lots of aboriginal people joining the corporate space and you know using their loud voices for good things, as you said, igniting the fires, keeping the fires burning. But we also talk to a lot of mob that leave the classroom. And mm. it's really disheartening when we hear stories about why our mob leave the classroom. Do you have any insight from your perspective? Because, you know, you've been around for a little while now and you've been in multiple roles. You've talked to lots and lots of people. Why are our mob leaving? I like how you nicely put that you've been around for a little while. Thank you for that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> now look, uh, yes, I mean that's deadly way for saying that. You know, I've been a, a mixed. You look good. Uh, <laughs> I was black, don't crack. I think that's it. Um, <laughs> well, that's what I was going to say. But you know, you said it for yourself. I would have went too. You know, look, it is it is very sad. The attrition rate of our mob leaving the system. Um, it's definitely not a good thing. Um, it's a horrible thing. I think it's um it's a real shame. Um, you know, we want to see more. We want to see more, not just in our classrooms, uh, in all in all spaces. You know, our kids, as I and I've said it a couple of times, our kids can't be what they can't see. So if there's no, you know, black faces in front of those classrooms or in executive role or in the corporate space, they can't see that. They, you know, they're not going to dream and be that. And that that was it for me. You know, I I knew there were people there in the system, so I knew I could be in the system. Um, but seeing our mob leave. For a number of reasons, um, is a real shame, and and I think it's it comes from another a few different layers. You know, I've worked in the union space, I've worked in corporate, I've worked in schools, I've been a teacher for a very long time, worked as an AO a little bit as well. There's a couple of layers to this. Um, one thing that a lot of our non-Aboriginal colleagues and peers don't in the system don't have to face is um, that cultural working in two worlds, two way system. You know, mm. we. Obviously, we work in a system that um, hasn't been too kind for our mob. It's not culturally safe for our mob. Um, it's not culturally responsive to our mob. And so um, we're constantly challenging that. And so there's that cultural burnout that comes from that. Our non-Aboriginal colleagues don't do that or don't have to or don't feel that. The other thing and the other side of that, flip side of that, is too that um, I hate saying it, but it's that underpinning of racism as well occurs. Yeah, um, yeah. You know that, and I'm, you know, the three of us have all been in a classroom. We are, oh, you're Aboriginal. Wait, here you go. Here's the Aboriginal education bucket. You can take it. You can do it. I know you'll want to do it. Here you go. Great. You know, you've joined a new school. You're, you know, your first couple of years of teaching, your first appointment, whatever that is. 
A, you don't want to let down culture because the culture is who you are. You're proud of it. You go, yep, I'll do it because I want to do it. But you, you might have three or four other committees that you're on. You're leading this. You're doing that. You've got a classroom load. You're an executive. Whatever it is, taking that on and doing it justice um, is sometimes how you can probably hear uh, brigade in the background. <laughs> Mate, they, they, they know how much of an issue this is. They're like, just get someone out there. Someone's got to solve this today. Yeah, someone lives in the inner west and can see multiple people <laughs> going past. Um, yeah, you know, like it, 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 I suppose it's that, here, you take average education, you can run with it. And what does yeah. that do to the mom? They, begin, they become disheartened. They go, oh, why me? You know, why should I have to do it just because I'm black? You know, that sort of thing happens. Happened to me, both schools. But then on the flip side, I always want to do it. So then I want to do it well. So then I invest a lot of my time in. And then when you start investing your time in it, then you become, I suppose, everything, expert, Aboriginal culture, you're going to do everything, so you're going to do the best. So then that impacts on your workload and your workload builds and builds and builds and builds. And so you exhaust it. Um, then is that underpinning of racism as well. And that eats at your soul, that eats at your heart. And um, you then lose faith in the system because there's a system there to be culturally safe for you. Um, and I know that I've done a lot of work over the you know, multitude of years I've been in the system supporting our mob out there in schools who have that cultural burnout and um, who are facing quite often sometimes those microaggressions. They're facing those, um, you know, those little one-liners here and there, those subtle racism or racist remarks that they hear and... Um, you know, that is also that cultural burnout and, and you know, that's what's happening with our mob. There's another thing that our mob face, that our colleagues and peers don't face, it's that whole thing of teaching off country. You know, that's that really is difficult for some of our mob who, you know, like I live here in Wongal lands, I live here in Sydney, in the inner west of Sydney, and I have now what, 13 years, 14 years. Um, so I'm away from country. I'm 600 k's from country um, and my support or family networks. Um, and so... For some of our mob who are placed in spaces or places or, you know, country that isn't their own or isn't their home country, um, that's difficult itself. You know, that contributes to a lot of our mob going, I don't feel comfortable, I'm homesick. Um, and so they don't have time to wait for a transfer to come in. So they go, you know what, I'm better off just being at home and doing something else. So they leave the system and, you know, it's quite hard to get back into the system when you've been out for a little while. There's also, too, that burnout of workload yeah it's a tough gig and you know if you don't have the support of colleagues around you if you don't have the support of a good exec team around you or a good leader around you or if you're a leader yourself it's a tough gig um and quite often um we're seeing burnouts of all our teachers but for me our Aboriginal colleagues that are leaving in the first number of years or even after an extra number of years you know we're losing them as well you know it the system's got to change. The system's got to make changes. And, you know, I know there is things put in place and we're trialling things and to support, you know, Aboriginal teachers in schools. Um, but our teachers, our Aboriginal teachers leave in the system. Um, a, a, a too large a number are leaving too fast, too quickly. Um, and we're just not going to get them in. We're not going to recruit them if they're hearing those stories Um from from mob who are teachers or from other systems or other social media platforms or whomever or wherever they read it, um, they're certainly not going to join the system. Um, you know, it's certainly not for everyone. Teaching isn't for everyone. And um, for some of our mob, the system hasn't changed enough for them to feel comfortable in the system. So, I mean, pick any of those reasons. Um, there's still a lot of work that we need to do. And, 
you know, I'm all for our mob seeking other opportunities and, and you know, going out on their own, doing whatever they want to do. I'm all for, I'm 100% behind them. Um, but I'm also about supporting the ones that are still here and the ones who want to come in as well. So I'm always happy to support either way. I just don't want to see our mob hurt in some way um, or that work-related stress or that stress from a system that's not supporting or being there for them. So and I know my colleagues in my directorate, other Aboriginal colleagues, we're always here to lend a hand, have an active listening voice, uh, listening voice, listening ear, you know, wanting to listen to our, you know, not judging anyone because that's the other thing too. We don't want to talk. We're shame. We get shame. Like a shame job is a big factor for our mob and just because you're a teacher, you don't lose that. So to other, you know, other fellas out there, oh, look, I'm shame. I, I you know, it's, this is killing me. This is not good for me. That's a big stance. You know, it's big for anyone, but for our mob, um, telling family, friends, other black teachers, other colleagues, you know, I can't do this. Um, it, it's hard. And so it just keeps building and building and building and eventually they can't handle it more so they leave the system, you know. And so things have got to, we've got to put those things in place to support our mob that are losing. We're losing too quickly because there isn't mechanisms to support them. So I hope that answered it. It's a big, long-winded answer, but there's so many layers to it and it's very multifaceted and I think... We've got to make sure that we, as mob in the system or in education or in educational background, we're there to support those who are doing a tough in the system um, or those who want to come into the system. They know that there's people around them. You know, and there's a lot of us who yeah. still aren't teaching, who are there, you know, like in the classroom, I mean, who are still willing to support in some way um, and give a guiding hand and helping hand. Yeah, no, I think that's pretty well said. And I think, like, it's definitely, it's, it's some of the things that you've I guess you touched on courts in that article was just that there's so many different reasons, but when you, it's, it's interesting when you, when you asked, you know, one person why they left, they'll never just give you, it's not just one reason. It wasn't just no. like I turned up, someone said I was really shit at my job. So I just left. It wasn't that. It was just like, it was this, come on with this, come on with this, come on with this. So yeah. What, what, what do you think would be like, I guess one, one solution that isn't quite happening right now that I guess needs to be implemented by whether it's the department or whether it's just a, a workplace or a, or a principal, like what, what do you feel is like that one thing that just isn't necessarily happening right now that should be there? Um, oh, God, how, how long do you have? Um, <laughs> look, there's things that have been put in place and we're not seeing the results of that yet. You know, like we've just had the first of its kind, the first compulsory mandatory abdication professional learning for every single staff member in the system. You know, that's only just been released this term. Um, I'd like to see what the impacts of that are. Um, you know, every single department employee is going to see that and, and participate in that learning. Um, there's now a, a start again, a principal uh, leadership uh, credential. Uh, part of the, your principalship, you must complete this um, leadership um, module around abdication. I think their keys that I think I would have said a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago, they're the things that we need to change the system. You know, leaders, classroom teachers, who eventually will be colleagues, will be, you know, the boss, the manager of a site, it's going to be your principal, um, or it could be in a corporate space you're leading. So having those, that PL for staff and changing the system that way is a start. It's a start. Yep. Um, I also think to, um, you know, the, the, look, it's really hard because I think the key is our voice, having our voice at every single table, 
but a voice that's going to be heard is critical. Um, and I know that's starting to happen, but it's not happening quick enough, I think. You know, like we want to see more of our voices out there. Um, you know, one thing I'm really proud of our directorate is, it's, you know, it's predominantly Aboriginal people in our directorate, proud, deadly Aboriginal people who um, can mix it at any table. Uh, just, oh, just, I, I can't speak highly enough of them, just how deadly they actually are. You know, they're, not only are they educated blackfellas, um, the deadliest kind, but they're also too able to, you know, speak at any forum, you know, eloquently, articulately and intelligently, um, cultural ways as well, you know, our voices, uh, our ways. Um, and so that's something I'm really proud of. We didn't have that, you know, we had a small directorate over the last number of years, but we've grown so much that we're seeing more and more more wanting to come into the corporate space. But I think what it's doing, it's, it's helping a system. By having so many people in our director, we're helping a system that's changing it for our mob, you know, and that I think is key. And it's, it's, you know, I'd love to see it continue, um, but also I'd like to see, you know, more uh, mob on a regional level so that, you know, young Aboriginal teachers, um, you know, some teachers who are, some of our career teachers out there have been teaching a long time, they've got support mechanisms because I think, I know working when I, because prior to this role, I worked in the regional office and I worked as an um, Aboriginal wellbeing advisor where I looked after, you know, 200 plus schools and a team that supported Aboriginal across Sydney. You know, and I'd get a call, say, you know, from you two, both principals, you know, got Aboriginal teachers struggling in school. I'm like, yep, I'm there, but I, might not, I can't see you for another month because I'm booked out, um, you know, which is great. You, I mean, it's sort of a double-edged sword or a dilemma that you want to be in. But it also speaks to that we need more Aboriginal people in those roles mm. as well to go, you know, you know, Josh calls me, wants me in there because one of his young teachers just needs someone to come and yarn and talk and whatever. I can come there, drop everything and come straight there. But if I'm booked out for another month because I'm delivering PL or if I'm connecting with schools or supporting schools, whatever, you can see the, the problem. So, and I know there's things happening. I know there's things changing and I know there's a lot of things in play, which, you know, we could probably do another podcast on, but... Um, I want to see it now. I don't want to see it, you know, down the track. I want to see it in action now. And, you know, we've got so many Delhi Blackfellas out there who are doing some great things. And, and I just, um, I know that, yeah, we just need some more of these Delhi programs and Delhi Blackfellas in these spaces to make change. Um, the other thing I, I think what I'd like to see is more of our kids getting opportunities, um, especially in the high school. I know there's things happening. And I, and I keep saying that because I know there's some great things happening in the system. But I see some of our deadly kids in years 9, 10, 11, 12 who, um, you know, they're undecided what they want to do, you know, like it, it really is a hard thing. And, you know, I want them to come in education, always do. Um, but I think that's the key. Our kids are always the key. You know, we want to see our kids, um, you know, do the be the best that they can be. That's, you know, going to the be onto whatever they want to do. Um, but I think in education we and, and speaking of, what's happening in the system now to support our teachers is um, we need a system that's going to support us pre-service, our teachers that come out of uni, our early career, and also our teachers have been doing a long time. So we want to see, see our kids coming into the system, our young, you know, 18, 19-year-olds straight, straight out of HSC into the system, into uni, um, knowing that they're going to come into a system that's going to be there for them. So I think they're all the keys, all of those things. I think that's what the system needs. It's not one thing. I think it's a number of things. 
Um, but it's us. I think it's us making the change. I think that's the one thing, you know, us being the voice and support, us being at corporate tables uh, making decisions, us, um, us, when I say us, as in not only just blackfellas, but I think in the teaching space, but in the corporate space. Uh, and in, you know, in, in affiliate things too, like, uh, you know, your, you know, your company, you know, your organisation, because I think what it does, it provides this independent voice. It provides another space and another avenue where teachers can go to, where educators can go to. You know, if they know someone or if they go, there's a deadly black organisation out there, I want to support it as well because it's about and a part of our community. And I think that's also our voices again. So I, I would say one thing is voice, but it's 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 right across the board. Yeah. Uh, it's, yeah, look, it's, it's really well said. Um, moving on to our, I guess, last three questions for you. First one is, what's one piece of advice that you'd give to someone wanting to just embed culture into either their organisation or their school better? Um, hmm. Contact Anthony Galuza. I was about to say, yeah, give him my number. Um, um, uh, look, if it's a principle, I would say community. What's the one piece of advice is work with community. Um, don't try and do it on your own. I think for a lot of our, especially our mob, we try and do it on our own because, you know, we're proud and deadly, but we've got to do it our way. Um, we've got to take people on that journey. And I think if you're a leader in a school, you're leading an organisation, you're running a company and you want to do things for our Aboriginal histories, culture, education, languages, whatever it is, community, work with community, work with Aboriginal staff. Um, I know, and you two both know, like it's, I used to find, I used to get the question, oh, you're a teacher, not an Aboriginal, you know, SLSO, you're not an AEO, so we won't get your voice. We only need their voice, you know. We're not an us versus them. We're one voice, one strong, deadly voice. And and I think that's the key. It's working, you know, with community, working with Aboriginal staff. Um, the other thing I would say too is, you know, if you're running, like for a school, right, one of the things I do now in my presentation now is we talk about changing the system, changing the school structure, challenging the system, um, is doing things on a local level, you know, maybe a, like a local immersion induction program. So whenever the staff rock up first day, everyone does it, you know, you staff development day, doing a local induction program. Get the community in, the community know them, community can work with them, community can support them, but they've built a relationship and if they don't have a relationship with them, um, then they're not going to see change. We're not going to see positive change. So it really comes down to working with local community, um, working with Aboriginal staff, um, but those relationships are key. So I think they're working with community relationships, I think is the one thing I would say, you know, like I'm obviously we're talking about AECG as well. I can't, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention AECG for our schools. If they don't connect with their local AECG, they're going to miss a, an avenue not only um, for support and advice, but also to relationships with the community. You know, they're the peak authority around education. And on a local, regional, state level, Aboriginal, um, AECG is your place to go and, a lot of our schools don't connect with them. They don't even know they exist. So Yeah, think, that's right. Yeah, so I would say all of that, voice and community, I think. Yeah. Cause you, um, and you've got the other thing you've got, and, I've, and I'll finish on this, it's that a lot of our staff, they know a black fella, but they've never connected with, <laughs> they've never. Yeah. I was going to yeah. say, but do they know them? <laughs> I know that where I know my cousin's got a friend who is Aboriginal, that sort of thing. Oh. Um. So then they become an expert because they know someone who knows someone. And mm. so that's why I would say, you know, developing something like a local induction program and revisiting it every year. 
I can tell you, I can't, I can't even tell you the amount of times, you know, I'd go into a school and everyone would say, yep, I know everything about Aboriginal education and or our kids or Aboriginal kids or Aboriginal culture. You know, I know Josh, he, he you know, that's it. I know everything now because I've connected with him. But then, which is great, and he's probably deadly old Josh there, but... <laughs> Yes, yeah, probably. Because, <laughs> um, you, know, you know, we all know how deadly is. Um, no, but when we, we go to community and go, oh, have you, you know, Josh, have you connected with the school? And they're like, oh, no, I talked to them once as they were crossing the road or something. But mm. to a school, they've consulted, they've yarned, they've connected. They've made no connection. So I think, you know, it's that is a what it's it's got to be that local connection, relationships. Yep. I'll, 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 I'll infinite it as relationships. They've got to develop relationships. Um, to change the school structure system, whatever. Yeah, yeah. got to be aware of that. Think... Uh, you you got to be aware of that one friend that they mention. Um, yeah. Got to be wary of that. Yeah, one friend, and you've got to, you don't know what that one friend has told them, or you know, advice. <laughs> you know, you just never know. That's exactly right. <laughs> we've all faced it. We've all been there. So we I'm have. My, I'm plugging yeah. my surface break because it's dying. Um, see, I try to do that nice and smoothly. Um, but, yeah, we've got a challenge, you know, making sure our um, our teachers don't rest on old matey who's um, they've known for two minutes or that friend of a friend of a friend they mm. met once somewhere. I think, um, I think everything that you talked about, though, comes back to consistency. Like you've talked about so many good things that have happened and are happening in the Aboriginal education space from corporate down. Um but, you know, you've also talked about good things coming and how quickly they can go. So I think, you know, really at the end of the day, if we're going to see really, really good things happen for our mob and our kids in our classroom, consistency has to be behind that. Now, Anthony, yes. you like to talk to a lot of people and go to, out to a lot of good shows I see on your social media all the time. You're out somewhere yeah, constantly. <laughs> Um, but this one is a recommendation for our teachers in classrooms. What's something that you have watched or listened to or gone to see that would be good for teachers to, I guess, broaden and deepen their understanding of our mob, our cultures, histories, languages and all of that? Goodness. Um, God, now you hit me. I would say, first thing, it's our voices. Like, you, can't, you can't go past our voices. Um, you know, one of the things I go into schools and I say, you know, don't get a, don't pick a resource that's written about our mob, but not by our mob. Um, so, you know, if you're going to read anything, you know, I've just started um, Anita Heiss's new book. So um, I've opened the front cover, but that's as far as I've got, but I will get to it. Holidays, I'm waiting. Um, so anything by a deadly Aboriginal authors, strong, proud, deadly, you know, black authors, um, I would recommend that wholeheartedly. Uh, music. Black Voices again, you know, we recently saw the loss of Uncle Archie Roach. Um, you know, those staunch, proud black voices, you know, I think, you know, I just did some presentation to some, uh, at uni, to some secondary music classes. And one of the things I kept telling them was, you know, don't just do Aboriginal music in the, you know, NAIDOC week. Oh, look, let's listen to some black artists in NAIDOC week. You know, when you're doing, you know, contemporary, when you're doing classical, there's Aboriginal people in that space, use them. Um, so I'd say, you know, when it comes to music, listening to all types and listening to all our, but it's our voices. That's, I think that's the key. Um, I mean, you can't go, you know, when we talk about um, plays, musicals, anything by our people as well. But um, what I love is, you know, hearing Aboriginal people creating content um, 
in front of the screen, behind the screen, um, you know, writing content, that sort of thing too. Like I just watched, um, oh, well, someone told me to watch it. I've only just started. Oh, I can't even think it was an old show that I watched back in the 90s, um, Heartbreak High. Anyways, one thing everyone's talking about, I haven't, I haven't, I've only just started watching the first episode. Anyways, but the reason I watched it is because everyone's talking about Mane White and his, I went to watch his play not long ago and it's amazing. If he gets another run, um, go and see it. Um, but, you know, like having a deadly black rider create something. So I was like, okay, I've got to watch this. It may not be anything I like, but I'm like, I'm going to watch it because, you know, our mob have, um, you know, participated in or delivered or created something. So, um, you know, and then there's, you know, there's good movies out there, you know, like, you know, Can't Go Past, Sapphires and all of those sort of movies, um, you know, black people on screen and, and you know, black comedy and all of those shows, you know, our our stories, our yarns and our culture. But what I will say is a lot of those the good things that are happening now, um, the only time when I was growing up that you saw black fellas and culture or anything like that, it was in the negative. Um, it certainly wasn't our stories. It was the way that we were portrayed and now mob, you know, would, it was a job, so they take it on, and and you know, but now we're getting paid to create things. You know, our people are at the front of the or leading the space that you know, writing novels, writing books, writing plays, and doing all that. So, um, I think that's why I, I yeah, I mean, look, I'm, I can't wait to see some of the um, some more black artists that are coming through in the music space. I'm waiting for some more festivals now that COVID's sort of gone, and. Um, you know, I, I like them all, like Thelma Plum and all the rest of them, you know, going to see um, Aboriginal artists right across the board. And, of course, can't make, forget the space of sports. If you want to see some <laughs> of the deadly sports stars out there, um, there's many of them, especially for the Sharkies team. We had five Aboriginal politics here. So exactly right. He's not wrong. Across the board. That's it. Um, yeah, look, and, like, if you want to find some good uh, blackfellow content, just follow Courtney Ruby on, on TikTok. Um, <laughs> Or Instagram, which whichever you whichever you and prefer. I forgot our, our social media stars. I forgot them. Yeah, yeah, you can't forget them. You can't forget yeah. those content creators. Yeah, I mean, look, there's so much out there now. Like, there's just so much out there. It's the reverse problem that we have now that I had coming into this. There wasn't there wasn't resource. There wasn't movies. There, there was there was a you know songs and sports was there, but there wasn't. Our, you know, we weren't writing like black comedy. We didn't have a black comedy. We didn't have movies that were written by us, for us, about us, you know. So, you know, it's sort of the reversing. And now there's so much out there. It's like schools go, where do I start? You know, tearing the hair because there's so much of it. They're like, what's the good stuff to use? Well, it's all good stuff. It's our voices. So sometimes it might challenge the status quo. So, you know, it might be a bit controversial. But, you know, hey, our voices come in and they're very varied and come in different in many, many forms. So all of it, take it all in, I say. That's mm-hmm. it. And uh, look, just the last question: if you're if you were a school principal or a company CEO on uh, tomorrow or, or or next term, should yeah. we say, what would be one new initiative you'd introduce to staff around culture? Uh, just one. Um, mm. I think I've already said it. I think a local induction program. I think if I was a principal tomorrow, I'd make sure every and you know I don't care whether there's zero percent, hundred percent Aboriginal students or staff, a local induction program, getting in local community in, form relationships, because um, that's that's what's important, critical. It's it's critical. You know, you can't deliver a policy if you don't know, work with, or have an understanding of Aboriginal histories and culture where our people have come from, um, you know, and that those relationships. And then, then it changes not only the 
you know, your relationships. It also changes other things like making sure the school is culturally safe, making sure staff are using culturally responsive teaching. But you can't do a lot of that without developing some of those relationships. But to get Aboriginal people in the school gate, you've got to make sure it's culturally safe. So I think they all sort of go hand in hand and developing that local induction program and making sure it's culturally safe. I think that's what's going to change. And that, I'd do that in, even if I wasn't in teaching. You know, some of our organisations could deal with um, a local induction cultures and history project program, professional development, um, you know, the way they treat our mob still happens. Still, you know, still a lot of it's happening and I think that would change the world, not just the system. So I would say that. No, that's mad. That's deadly. I'm all for it. Trying. You're doing trying. well. You're doing yeah. well. You're inspiring. So, just kicking goals. Yeah. Money, <laughs> <I mean>, isn't he? <laughs> that's exactly right. What more to do? What more to go? The money... Only youngish. Yeah, you're young. Look at you. No, yeah, no. see, still going. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us for uh, another week of the Deadly Dose. Uh, always good to hear what you're doing, brother. Um, always on some awesome stuff there in uh, in the department and wherever else that you go and wherever else that you're popping up. And I think it's just great to see that you know you actually are being what you wanted to be and still want to see, which is being loud black and deadly and i think there's a lot of young people certainly i think it's safe to say myself in court's definitely uh it's it's good to you know when you get to see what you're doing and um you know you get to see see yourself uh whichever room it is whether it's a conference whether it's just you know down in the street so yeah thanks for thanks for coming along and uh share all your experiences and insight for us today buzz yeah happy to be here thank you my people for inviting me i think um Let's do it again sometime. <laughs> Lock it in. Done. <laughs> That's it for this week's Deadly Dose. If you have a question about Aboriginal education or topics we discuss that you'd like to be answered on this podcast, be sure to DM us across our socials at deadlyed underscore or contact us through our website at deadlyed.com.au. Also, if you think this podcast is some of the deadliest stuff you've ever heard, be sure to rate and follow us, even chuck in a sneaky comment in the review section. Marungu.